Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Genesis 28, 14. Further indication that God is interested in every person on the earth to bless him. Yeah, that's it. The last one, it says, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families of the earth be blessed. God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. See, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not slack concerning his promise. Some men can count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have, God will have all men to be saved, all the families of the earth. So when God says in verse 14 that he wants, as it says there, all the families of the earth to be blessed, God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. And the greatest blessing that a family can have is to have access to God in heaven by being saved from their sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants all the families of the earth to be blessed with salvation. He has not blocked any family on the earth by, by giving some, some kind of irresistible grace to some and not to others to be saved. He wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. So, you know, when the Jews arrived at the concentration camps during the Nazi Holocaust time, there were two lines. And the Jews started off, and one line just became the left line, and, one line, and then there was a line, the right line. See? And the right line was the line to live. And the left line meant that they were going to die within two hours in the gas chambers. And there was a Nazi Gestapo, and he sat there, and he made the choice for every Jew, whether he was going to go to the right line to live or whether he was going to go to the left line to die. No Jew could make that choice for himself, which line he was going to go into. That choice was made by the Nazi Gestapo, and each Jew had to go into, had no choice, had to go into the line that the, that the Gestapo chose for that person. The Gestapo was ultimately responsible whether a Jew went into the right line to live or when he went into the left line to die. God is not like the Nazi Gestapo. He's not saying to this person, I choose you to live, you go to the right line to heaven, and I don't choose you, so you go into the left line to die in hell. See, God has chosen for everyone, life, to be saved, but not everyone has chosen God. And only those who choose God go to heaven. See, God did not say that this letter, that he wanted to bless just the families I choose to be blessed. But God said in verse 14, all the families of the earth be blessed. God chooses everyone to be saved. 
but not everyone chooses God, and so everyone is not saved. So when we read in verse 12 that the ladder was set up on earth and not over Jacob, and that God set all the families of the earth to be blessed, that's the message, that's a take-home message for us. Carry the gospel to everyone. So everyone can be saved because God is concerned for all men to be saved. And then we see in verse 13 of chapter 28 that we're told, you see verse 13, chapter 28, we're told where God was. Where was God when we were in this scene? He's above the ladder, standing up there above the ladder, standing above the ladder. So when we see God standing above the ladder, it has two messages to us. First, we, as we see God standing above the ladder, God is standing as if to, he's standing as if he's like ready to come down the ladder, which is what he did. And he said he did that in John 3.13. And then we used to be in the John 3.13, just before, you know, it's three verses before John 3.16. It's kind of important. <laughs> so it says here, he said, no man ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. See, in John 3.13, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus, a teacher, a, a teacher of the book of Genesis. And when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to these words of Nicodemus in John 3.13, and he starts talking about ascending up to heaven and that the Son of Man came down to heaven, and Nicodemus understood exactly. He's talking about Jacob's ladder here because the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder and no man was going up that ladder. And so Nicodemus knew that the Lord Jesus was speaking about the ladder that we're studying here in Genesis 28. And the Lord said he was the one who came down the ladder. And so when the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder, he's standing to indicate he's getting ready to come down the ladder to earth. But the other message that we get from the fact that he's standing up there at the top of the ladder is a message of concern. When a person gets up from sitting, that's a message that he's concerned. As you know, we went through the patent court, been to too many courts, I don't like courts, but anyways, you gotta sit there, and as long as the judge is sitting down, you're always looking at the judge and see, if he ever gets up, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Well, he's gotten up. God has gotten up here. Why? God standing at the top of the ladder shows how interested and concerned God is that man has access to God in heaven. See, for man to have access to God, for man to be saved from his sins and to go to heaven, it's not a sit-down interest with God. It's a stand-up concern with God. Then we saw how Jacob, in the end of the chapter 28, he vows a vow. It says in 28.20, Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me, will keep me in the way that I go, give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and the stone which I have set for pillars shall be God's house, of all that it should give me, I'll surely give a tenth unto thee. So verse 20 begins with a vow that Jacob made with God. Jacob vowed a vow, all right? And at this point, Jacob's a pretty good negotiator, at least he thinks so. I mean, Jacob always seems to be coming out ahead on the deals he makes. I mean, he looks back at Esau and he said, that, I made a good deal. (laughs) He says, I I got the birthright. So he's feeling like he's a pretty good wheeler and dealer. And now Jacob says, well, I'm pretty good. I'll try my hand with God as a wheeler dealer. So in verse 20, when it says Jacob vowed a vow, we see Jacob making a deal with God. And the first thing we see Jacob doing in this deal with God is that, first of all, it's Jacob that jumps in aggressively with his proposal, his deal. 
See, Jacob doesn't, see, that's kind of like a rule <laughs> for making a good deal. You know, don't wait for the other person to, to put something on the table. You put on the table. So Jacob immediately doesn't wait for God to, for his move, but he makes his move first, and he lays his terms on the table. That's Jacob's deal. And he's made this deal with God in verses 20 and 23. So let's have a close look at the deal that Jacob made with God. This deal that Jacob made with God in verse 20 was at Bethel. We know that. And we can say that Jacob was saved at Bethel. And so this is really a deal between Jacob as a saved man and God. And in Jacob's deal in verse 20, Jacob makes three invitations. Okay, so this is the Jeopardy question. (laughs) Three invitations. And what are the three invitations that Jacob cautiously extended to the Lord? What's the first invitation? God would be with him. So Jacob invited God to be his companion. Okay, be with me, all right? Second invitation, keep me. So Jacob invited God to be his, yeah, protector, keeper, protector, all right? And then the third invitation was, that's right, feed me, <laughs> give me bread. And some of us would have put that at the top of the list, but anyway. So that was Jacob inviting God to be his provider. So Jacob invited God to be his companion, his protector, his provider, which God had already promised he would be in verse 15. But in verse 20, Jacob said, he liked this idea. I like the idea of you, God, being my companion, my provider, my, my protector, my provider. He says, that sounds pretty good. Sounded good to Jacob. I mean, who wouldn't want God to be their companion and their protector and provider? So in verse 20, Jacob said to God, go ahead. I want you to be my companion, protector, and provider. Sounds good to me. Be it. But there at Bethel, what did Jacob, in verse 21, what did Jacob not allow God to be in verse 21 at this time? His God. His God. See, Jacob did not allow the Lord to be his God. So Jacob was saying to God, I invite you to be my companion and my protector and my provider, but I do not invite you to be my God. But Jacob didn't rule out the possibility that the Lord might be his God in the future. And what one word in verse 21 shows us that Jacob might invite God, the Lord, to be his God in the future. Then, it's then. See, the word then, that's a tragic word. It's really a bad word. (laughs) I mean, here, it's really bad. It's tragic because this is a word that can result in a wasted life. See, the devil loves this word then because the Lord wanted to use Jacob's life then as a result of Jacob allowing the Lord to be his God. But as long as Jacob put off making the Lord his God, then Jacob's life would be wasted in terms of usefulness for God. And what we're seeing here is too often, so often the case when a person is just like Jacob and he comes to Bethel's salvation experience, but like Jacob, he says, I invite you, God, to be my companion, my protector, my provider. Yes, save me from my sins and make sure I don't go to hell and I go to heaven. Oh, I, I could use all that kind of help from God. That sounds really good. But let's make one thing clear here. I am not inviting you, the Lord, to be my God. I want to direct my life. I want to make my own decisions. All I need from God is his help to assist me in my choices, for direction of my life, for my decisions. So God, as long as you stay on your side and don't cross over to my side, I'm trying to take over my life, we're going to have a great relationship. But God, if you get aggressive and start to try to run my life, we're not going to have a good relationship. You know, I have a friend. My friend really doesn't have any use for God, and he's also never been married. 
And I asked him one time, my friend, I said, why did you never get married? And he said, because I don't want a wife telling me what to do. I said, oh, they don't do that. (laughs) You know, that's what he said. I don't want a wife telling me what to do. And I couldn't help but think to myself, that's really the answer of why he's never received Christ as a Savior also. Because I can imagine him saying, because I don't want a God telling me what to do. And so when Jacob, in verse 21, said that he was not at that time inviting the Lord to be his God, Jacob was really saying, I want you to keep me company, I want you to protect me, I want you to provide for me, but I don't want you telling me what to do. And so that is sadly how chapter 28 ends with Jacob saying, not now, Lord, just not now for you to be my God. Sometime later, I promise you, Lord, I will take some time to evaluate your performance as a companion and a protector and a provider. And if I find you past the test, then I promise you I'll allow you to be my God. But not until then. And in the meantime, Lord, can you just please do a good job of being with me, protecting me, and providing me? That'll be fine. See, Jacob's life could have been so much better, could have been so much more useful if in verse 20, he didn't say that tragic word, if. And in verse 21, he didn't say that tragic word, then. If only Jacob would have substituted since for the word if, and if he would have substituted now for the word then, his whole life would have been different, would have been so much better if his vow was sounded like this in verse 21, 20 and 21, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, since God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, now shall the Lord be my God. And all the years... Years that wouldn't have been wasted for Jacob if he'd done that. And all the happiness and the peace that he wouldn't have forfeited if Jacob would have only believed God and not put God on the test and not said the if and the then, but would have said the since and the now. And that's where Deuteronomy 4.36 comes into play for us. Because as we see this and we open our hearts, we say, out of heaven, God made us to hear his voice that he might instruct us So we don't go down the Jacob road in our lives of the if and the then, and instead we believe God and we say the since and the now. But because Jacob did not at Bethel say since and now, because Jacob and Bethel, he did say if and then, Jacob is going to have some couple decades here of a pretty miserable life. And in the end, God's going to bring him along and Jacob will allow the Lord to be his God. So let's go. Here we go. We're getting out now. We're chapter 29. It's going to be a painful journey of if and then. (laughs) So verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. Now we want to really get into this now because we're with Jacob here. And it's it's like, God, keep your place and watch me go. See, so we read in verse 1 that Jacob went on his journey. See, the word then ties it back to the end of uh, chapter 28 we were just studying here where Jacob was the last one to speak in laying down his terms of his deal with God. So the word then in verse one means that Jacob has just finished wheeling and dealing with God and he's feeling pretty good. Jacob's feeling pretty good. As a matter of fact, we can imagine Jacob walking out of chapter 28 and 29 with a feeling of, I'm really something, you know? I mean, I just cut a great deal with God. 
I just got God to be my companion, my protector, and my provider. And all I had to give up was some nebulous promise that sometime in the future I might make him my, my God. I might make the Lord my God. That was a great deal. I'm proud of myself. But if my arm was a little longer, I'd pat it all the way there. I could get all that from God, and maybe I'll just wait to my deathbed to make the Lord my God. Boy, did I get a good deal from God. So this is a then. That's the word then. In verse 4, it shows us how good Jacob's feeling. I mean, there's a spring. There's a certain spring in Jacob's step now as he really feels he got this great deal from God. In fact, that certain new spring in Jacob's step is actually brought out in verse 1 in the Hebrew. When it says in verse 1, Jacob went on his journey, literally the Hebrew reads, Jacob lifted up his feet. He's got this new spring. He's so happy. He's so full of hope. He's so full of hope for the future. Jacob thinks that he can go on now without God telling him what to do, without the Lord being his God. Boy, this looks great to him. And on the surface, those words, then Jacob went on his journey, they seem to be just explained to us that Jacob was traveling from his homeland in Canaan and was coming into Syria, to Haran. But this journey is different for Jacob now than it is. And why is this journey different from all other journeys, you know, <laughs> for Jacob? Because for all other journeys for Jacob, Jacob was alone. But now God is with him. And this is the part of the new section with Jacob because this journey is very different for Jacob because of the promise in verse 15 of the previous chapter, behold, I am with thee. He said all those things and I won't leave you. See, this is the start of a new journey. That's a journey of behold, I am with thee and or wow, I am with thee. So from verse 15 of the previous chapter, we can read into verse 1 something like this. Then Jacob went on his journey with God with him. See, that's what happens to a person when he receives the Lord Jesus Christ. He's no longer on his life journey alone, but from the time that he receives the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus is always with him. And what a journey this is going to be for Jacob with God, but God's still with Jacob. I mean, what a journey we have in our life with God with us. I mean, these words, Jacob went on this journey, they open for us this new section of Jacob. Section starts here, verse 1, and it extends all the way to chapter 30, verse 24. This is this particular section. And in this section, in Jacob's life, it starts here and goes to chapter 30, verse 24, this is a section in Jacob's life that we just need to fasten our seatbelts for. You know, we're, where we are right now in verse 1, we're like it's, you know, the roller coaster is coming up. It's going click, 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 click. And so now it's like fasten your seatbelts because it's going to start. It's a section. It's an amazing section. It's a section in Jacob's life that's amazing as we see God in Jacob's life through a lot of conflict and a lot of stress. Because God is in Jacob's life through all this, he's going to gain, well, not just wife, I guess one's good, you might as well have four, you know, children. We'll see in this section how Jacob will make two agreements. The wheeler-dealer negotiator is going to end up making two agreements with good old Uncle Laban. And we'll see in this section how Jacob, against his will, ends up consummating his marriage to Leah, a woman he never wanted to marry. We'll see in this section how Jacob hated his wife Leah. We'll see how God didn't want Jacob to hate Leah. We'll see how Jacob will have children from Leah, a woman he hated. We'll see in this section how Jacob experiences anger from the woman he loved, Rachel, Rachel's anger. And we'll see in this section how Jacob, here's the worst part of all, he will be caught in the middle of two women bitterly 
at war with each other. And these two women just happen to be his wives. And in this section, we'll see how Jacob will not be able to stay out of this bitter war, of this conflict with, between these two women. And we'll see how these women at war, they expand their war by throwing Jacob into the arms of two more women that they control, and how poor Jacob will be further used in this war, and he'll end up having children with the maid women that he's been thrown into. And we'll see in this section how Jacob did not name one of his children, but how these warring women used the name, they named the children, and they named the children about this war. I mean, and this war between these women was so bitter that all the names of the children were memorials to the war that, between the two women. He hated this war. Jacob couldn't get away. He couldn't get away from the bitter war between these two women because every time he called one of his children by their names, it was a reminder of the war between the two women. <laughs> I mean, picture a man who went through World War II like my father-in-law and hated World War II and wouldn't even talk about that World War II. He just wanted to forget World War II. And then just picture if his children, one, what's your name? Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> what's your name? Omaha Beach. What's your name? D-Day. What's your name? Battle of Britain. I mean, the poor guy wants to forget the war. And he can't because all his kids are named after the battles. That's what it was like for poor Jacob. He didn't get to name one of his sons, except for his last son, when Rachel named him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. And only because Rachel had died, just died, did he have the chance to change the name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. And what will amaze us will be to see how God used this bitter war between two women in Jacob's home to bless Jacob with children. And all this great blessing came out of a disaster it was for one reason. See, God was with Jacob, as he said in Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with thee, will keep thee until I bring you back. See, God was with Isaac when he said in Genesis 26, 24, the Lord appeared unto him, Isaac, the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee. See, God was with Isaac when Isaac was being deceived. And a great blessing came out of that deception as Isaac blessed Jacob, who you're supposed to, instead of Esau. And Jacob would have done well to sit down and think about how God was with my father Isaac when Isaac was being wrongly deceived and how God made blessing come out of that deception. And what we'll see in this section is how Jacob will be deceived into marrying the woman he hated, but we'll see that God was with Jacob when Jacob was being deceived and how God will make a great blessing come out of that deception. See, for in Jacob's life, what we're going to see in this, in this passage is that sometimes Jacob is rich in fortune, sometimes he's rich in misfortune. <laughs> he's always rich in blessing. And that's the true of our lives. Now, we see how Jacob arrived in Syria in verse 1, and it says, Jacob, went on his journey, came unto the land of the people of the east. See, the people that Jacob came to here are called the people of the east. They're not called the Syrians. They're not called people of Haran. They're called people of the east. And that's significant that that's pulled out that way. Why? Because in Hebrew, the word here that's used for east is kedma. Kedma has the meaning of forward, going forward, looking forward. The sun rises in the east. And it has the idea of the morning of hope. And there's a political group, political party in Israel, which is called Kedima from Kedma, which means going forward. We're not going backwards. We're going forward. 
Uh, during the 1948 war, uh, Israel War of Independence, that was the call to the officers, to the soldiers, would say, Kadima, go forward. And because many of these people didn't speak Hebrew, it was tragic. They didn't know what they were saying, but anyway. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com. 